0: Leon about his dancing
1: yeah I mean <laughs> well actually you can do that go on
0: yeah good Leon tell us about your dancing
1: well no I've got to say that um I've been under the weather for the first time since since last March probably this weekend and I was exhausted last night and I thought I really wanted to catch the end of uh of
0: another last
1: round. or another round I keep putting it last orders another round <laughs> And I swear, I literally, was with Fred was here, I'd said goodnight to uh, my girlfriend. I thought, right, it's time to put Fred away. And that song came on because I'd saved that last five minutes until, you know, for an hour or so because I was doing other things. And I was dancing around the flat and Fred was dancing with me. It was brilliant. What a brilliant ending.
0: Yeah. Very and joyful. Oh God,
1: oh, and I well, ran run this morning, I was... Don't spoil it.
0: Yeah.
1: Oh, sorry. But no, the song they played at the end, and I'll say that, I must have played it ten times during my uh, first half of my run.
0: I was playing it while Asap joined this uh, this little chat. In fact, it's very good, great. So, what
2: is this? What is this film? Last Orders.
0: Yeah, it's called Druck, Danish film. uh, Translated. Yeah, yeah. Okay,
2: so I know which one it is. Yeah. Yeah, I know which one it is. Okay, so I guess I'm going to have to locate that and watch it ASAP.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's available. May but... I
2: start my podcast now?
0: Yes, you may. We <laughs> should we start? Should we start, though? I just do want to ask, was that a hair of the dog I heard, or a Sam Pellegrino can opening, or are we skipping over the nest fact? Tea. Oh, I, I, would nest have, tea. I would like to sort of, for the record, mention the fact that you're feeling fuzzy-headed, because that's usually my role, so I just want to put that out
2: there. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I'm going to take a picture of the Nesty, and I'm going to put it in the WhatsApp <laughs> chat, just to prove that it's ST okay. and not okay. Um So now, lady and gentlemen, may I begin? Indeed. Wonderful. Part two, episode number, what number is it, Debs? 19. That was very good. An impressive intro from me there. I don't even know the episode number. <laughs> Part two of episode 19, This Might Be Okay. We cut it short on Friday because we wanted to have a conversation about how difficult it is to make films in the UK. Uh, and Liam but- Leon Butler is currently making a film. So I felt that this would be, a, a, I guess, a standalone podcast, but it'll just be part two. So Debs is here again, as you just heard, and Mr. Leon Butler is here. Morning, Leon. Good morning. I said, Debs. Or should I say, afternoon?
0: Mm, indeed, it's oh, afternoon. Yeah.
2: Yes. After so, I just look, ran past um,
1: the pub where I live, and there's about and? a dozen people in there already. I was red-faced and panting, <laughs> and they were enjoying a lunchtime
2: pint. Wow. wow! Wow! I've I've seen a lot of pictures on the timeline of of Brits Brits in pubs well, in the rain outside in the snow.
0: Pubs, we mean obviously. We must stress yes. we know the rules. Yeah.
2: Yes. <laughs> Excellent. Exactly. Well, look, um, we're here to talk about making films and how easy or difficult it is to make a film. And I'm gonna start by asking Leon a relatively straightforward question, which he's probably gonna laugh at at the idea of it being relatively straightforward. So Leon, I've got a great film script, right? How how do I go and get the money to get the film made?
1: That is a sort of million dollar question. Mic
2: drop. drop, my phone, <laughs> proper <laughs> mic drop.
1: And, and as soon as I drop the phone, Fred comes sniffing around. Saying, What's that? I can try and munch on. Um, yeah, it's tricky, uh, that's a tricky question. I mean, I can only talk about my process, and we raised, I mentioned before, in the pod development money for a slate of films after a 100 streets. And then I got some sort of buzz from the script and I made a sizzle and a brochure to send to production companies and raised some more money off that at certain events. And then, you know, if I'm honest, the script hasn't changed that much. We changed directors, which gave it some impetus. And then it's just about having proactive people around you. Of course. You can, a production company could love it. You could sell it as a Netflix original or other platform deal originals or with Sky Cinema uh, Studios original. But ultimately, you need to get momentum. And, and there's no formula to that. Because like I said, it'd been to a cast and director friend of mine and we had some development money. And it kind of was dying a death. And then in September stroke, October last year, I changed the title, made some minor amendments to the script based on some a producers notes and, and off we went and then we got a new casting director and everyone's buzzing about it. So for me personally, there is no formula apart from the script in the first place is well loved within the industry and you've got to have the capacity and to be able to be entrepreneurial and, and raise some money and, and make some content. You know, and I don't mean social media, I mean we put a Twitter account up a year or two years ago and we've got about ten followers. So, you know, with the social media you can't blow your load too soon. Sorry for the sort of disgusting mm. comparison, but it's the only way I can describe it. So I was talking to someone the other week about how we can actually get some buzz going and you really can't because ultimately if we make the film, when we make the film in September, it won't be out to the following September. So if social media, you've got to sort of do a steady six months going into the film, but you can't go too early. So there's, there's little point in putting all social media and while you're shooting the film because it will just die a death in the next year and 100 Streets took two years mm-hmm. to come out. So mm. I suppose in answer to your question, in the simple version, there's no formula. And I say it to everybody I know involved in the industry, the best thing you could ever do is attach a director as early as possible and write the best script ever. And, and, and the true story how really does help. A-
2: mm. How approachable or how realistic is it for me and or Debs... Uh, to take a screenplay to a director. So for example, if this, this mythical screenplay that I've written, could I call my agent and say, hey Pat, I'd like you to send this to, insert the name of a famous British director here, and then he would send that script out to that director, and then if you're lucky, he reads it. Is that more or less the uh the way this goes or is there some hustle involved like do you you know do you dig find who the agent of the uh director is yourself and approach them or you see what i mean like what yeah i mean, way? They, yeah. building
1: personal relationships with directors is usually the best one because directors it's actually the trickiest thing to nail because they all have their own projects either that they've written or their agent has attached them to So that is the hardest thing, finding a director, if I'm honest. Um, We had one attached to this, and he was amazing in helping with the the rewrites. But then, you know, he suffered a little bit. I think I mentioned before during the first lockdown last year, and we kind of drifted apart. And then my agent had this young dynamic director, and we've become great friends. And, And that's what really helped me. So you could do it that way, but I'll but you need an angle or you need an edge. And that's why true stories mm. are great because I watched the Mauritani- the Mauritanian. Is that how you say it?
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. So that was tough watching places. Mm. But for me, a bit like uh, Last Orders is that the ending was so amazing. <laughs> Another round. <laughs> Another round. Fuck. Honestly, I'm sorry. I'm not really with it. No, I love it. Um, it's a
0: better name, to be fair. But anyway, go on.
1: Another round is that the ending made it all worthwhile, and that's the great thing about true stories. So the Mauritanian was that I don't want to spoil it, but we saw the real guy, and and that was amazing. I was smiling from ear to ear after watching that, mm. and that was a harrowing last half an hour. Mm. But anyway, I was, I'm missing. I'm going off piece to a bit. What I mean is, is that. True stories do give you a slightly more license to grab someone's attention. Uh, and what we've got in ours is we've got actually real life people, well-known people, as I, I've mentioned before, Ken Loach, James Fox, Terence Stamp, Princess Margaret, which helps. But yeah, directors all have a dozen projects or scripts in their office to look at, and somehow you've got to break through that. So. It's a mixture of hustle, but if you've got an agent, especially in these COVID times, he'll be looking for work for his dozen or 20 directors he's got on his books. And it's just mm. a bit of luck. My my agent isn't the best doer in the world, but he's the best facilitator. So he'll always introduce you to someone, which helps. You know, I'm, I'm waiting for invites to premieres and BAFTA membership and getting me on this committee and on that writer's room he ain't great at that but he's good at facilitating okay. so that's mm. it's got to come from your agent and if you haven't got an agent then you've somehow got to study look at, there's no point in going to danny boyle and saying look danny Boyle, i've got an amazing script because forget it those stories are one-off that mm. they're as rare as a tarantino script you know I, i've said before on the pod that you know my mate says to me or Tarantino didn't do that. Tarantino put all the songs in his script, forget Tarantino, forget mm. that. That's not a comparison. Uh, and, and Guy Ritchie as well, to an extent, you know, Guy Ritchie, you know, we had a pencil written 250 page script, then met Matthew Vaughan and Lockstock was born and they both went on to have amazing careers and, uh, apologies for that. Sorry. Uh, amazing careers. So, yeah, it, it it's knowing somebody to buy them into. And also, with development, especially independent films, the director on board my film, Ben, he, he's getting his hands dirty. You know, we're already grabbing stock footage, loads of location records. He's helping with the finances. You know, he's really pulling his sleeves up and getting stuck in. He's not turning up on six weeks before we start shooting with his cravat on, bossing people around. He's in there, he's in the trenches with us doing it. I speak to him 15 times a day. Uh, Mm. And that's what you really want. And that gave us the impetus. We had a much more legendary in terms of IMDb director before, but he's, you know, 60 odd, Ben's 38 and he's driven. And weirdly enough, he's a sexier director than, than a, a legend in his sixties, which is a shame, but brilliant for, for our film.
2: Hmm. Um, what about depths? do you do you wanna do you wanna ask Leon a question or can I, I, well, go I do straight to my next one? I
0: do, but I feel like it's go for really it. long because I'm I'm thinking about the hustle. I'm more interested in like the budget. How do you raise the finance for a project? How do you even know how much you need? And then my flip side is what happens if you run out of money?
1: Well, the reason the <laughs> top <again>,
0: question <laughs> well, again. Sorry, the for reason the this
1: film got going and mind your toes, but actually it was Idris, who's now an EP on the film. But he said to me, "Just go and make it yourself. Forget trying to raise three million. Just raise a million or so and just make the film." So that got us going as well. The budget's now at two point eight five million. So, but it got us going. And it got us moving and the truth is is that once you get momentum and you you know you have an investor who's prepared to put up seven figures and there's a tax credit so we've already applied to the bfi and the government to get the tax credit which works out about between 18 and 20 percent. and then other investors come in we've got somebody else who's in for another half a million so in the end we've got two million now and then the rest of the 800 We'll get, you know, I'm, I'm giving lots of secrets away, but ultimately that's kind of how it goes. And also Ben and I have made a vow, not like, uh, in blood, but we made a vow that whatever happens, we're going to make this film. But you know, we've had meetings where the other producer who I've brought on a chap called Victor Glean who's great. He's like, can't you guys change the script or there's 67 characters? Can't we get down to 50? And we're like, no, it doesn't work. The script, it's very, it's a biopic. And if we take that out, then that doesn't work. And, and it's not being a precious writer because I have to kill a lot of my babies within the script, but we're not prepared to compromise. But if by August, we haven't got the last 300 grand say, then we may have to, may have to change it. But I've learnt a lot of lessons from 100 streets because with 100 streets, We had four storylines. One of them would probably cost a million pound to make. It was, I mention it loads, I keep saying that, a wealthy Arab and a model. It was a very sort of high end in terms of locations and and actors. And if we'd have cut that prior to shooting, that film would have made money for everybody. So I'm very conscious Mm. of all the mistakes we made before. And also the acting was poor in that storyline, not because I was had a tiny extra rub in that storyline. It wasn't me. (laughs) But there were, some, there were some choices we made that weren't correct, which again, I'm really, really mindful. You know, we've, 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 we've cast Bindon, and we're happy with that. But Vicky Hodge, who's this sort of it girl from the 60s, skinny, model, brash, you know, we've got to get the right woman. And also basically uh, has Bindon as a little puppy dog who's a big, tough, gangster bloke. So she's got to be really strong. So even if she's not the best name, I'm determined that that character has to look right and be right, because that will break the film. So, yeah. But then what we've got, I've said before, I think that we've got a pool of 25 to 30-year-old actresses, female actors, on, in, with self-tapes, and they're all brilliant. And if you watch that show they're on, then they're really famous to you. But I'm if I'm honest, I've heard of any of them, because I, I don't mm. watch. So you know, like the, 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 the woman from Queen's Gambit was an unknown last year. And now if you've watched the Queen's Gambit, she's, uh, she's uber famous and uber, a big star. So that's another issue we've had that you can't sell a film, based on the talent anymore. Um, so then you have to get an ensemble. We went, we've gone to Gerard, is it Gerard Harris from Chernobyl and lots of other things, Richard Harris's son.
0: Oh, I'm
1: not sure. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, he's it, within the circles of acting, he's huge. Like Chernobyl was, you know, a, a masterpiece and he was one of the leads in that. And you know, we're trying to get ensemble. Charlie Creed Miles, a friend of mine who played George in my film, he was in *Nil by Mouth, he was in Peaky Blinders. Uh, he's recently in that Japanese-British film uh, TV show on BBC, what's it called? Giri Haji Giri Haji had a big part in that. So we've got him to play a, a small role. So we're building that cast, a sort of stellar mm. cast, I want to call it. Because we won't sell the film off probably the leads because of their age. The whole film is basically
2: 25 to 30 year olds. And now the... the is the finance is so more factored. or less in place now? Yeah. Is the financing yeah. more or less in place now? Yeah. The, yeah. The, 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 okay, so, it, so what, what did you say? 2.3 or anyway, whatever it is. Let's say for argument's sake, let's say that it's 2 million. So you've raised that money and Deb's asked a question and I asked it and both times, I feel like you've kind of ducked it. So I'm just gonna ask you super directly. Like, so how many different investors did you have to get together to pull the financing together? Um, Well, I had three or four who helped the development finance
1: and then I've got one, yeah. one main investor on this. And then since he's yeah. committed, i've got two or three more uh so not not as many as 100 streets but then you you know okay so basically go
2: on so you've got four or five investors right are they all what you would consider to be film industry professional producers or have you gone into private money
1: No, private money, a couple of them are, but the main guy is someone I used to work for 20 odd years ago. Uh, And what we're trying to do is get deals, whether it be with Sky or Netflix or another platform, so that the risk of Mm. his money is mitigated. Because I don't want to be in the business whereby he's at risk of losing money because A is my friend and B, no one wants anybody to lose money and film is a very risky game. Um, but you yeah. can you can mitigate that risk and you can get the deals in place. Obviously with hundred streets, we had a, a guy who put in 2 million and we made the film and then we sold it to Sony and then he got a big part of his money back. But, but he took that risk, but you know, even though it got mixed reviews, it still had Idris and Gemma and a pretty decent car. So, you know it wasn't a huge risk and with our film now you know we're getting great feedback so it won't be a huge risk but it is still it's always until we start shooting on september the 6th there's always a risk the whole thing can fall apart
2: at any moment mm-hmm. so so do you think that debs can i ask a question or do you want to dive no, in no, again yeah um so do you think that i need a uh, production company for my screenplay or do you think I can go straight to to financing? Like I'm what I'm trying to understand. Yeah is, no I get what you're saying. Is... I
1: mean going to a production company takes everything away from you. Obviously I've been in the development hell on T V products with production yeah. companies the last four years and I'll carry on doing yeah. that. But I needed this for my own my own self worth and my own you know, mental health. I needed something that I could control. I'm by, by uh, the industry I've worked in the past. I'm a project manager, I'm a leader. I don't mean that in an arrogant way, Mm. but I'm not, I don't mind sitting at QDOS for three years in development meetings. But I know that I've got through the last six months of this dodgy old pandemic, because I've gone back to project managing, helping a friend out on a big construction project, and because I'm leading this film. So, mm. I, I, I didn't want a production company involved, but I will get anyone involved to make it happen. So, I'm not precious. But from your position now, over the last, I said, five years, to develop this and other projects, so I could pay a few bills. And, you know, mm. we had to pay four grand to the archive footage company the other week, so we can then show the lead actor tomorrow how we've, we anticipate looking at the film. So if you have no development money in your account, then you do have to go the production way. Or you speak to your agent and you find a director who loves the script as much as you do. No one will love your project as much as you do, by the way. I got very lucky. That no, of course not. Ben does care about it as much, purely for timing. One of his project got shelved. He's into the whole sort of, he knew who Bindon was. And then we got on. But if any of those three things wouldn't have happened, it'd have gone. So there's it, it, definitely a lot of luck involved in, in terms of timing. But for you, with your project yeah. now, the script, director, yeah, because also the director's got a black book like you've got. So therefore, he'll know people. Yep. He, he, ben just came off a film with Angelica Houston and Jean Reno. So he knew he, he's in the business. So he's got crew. He's got some finance around him. He's well sort of loved by a group of American financiers. So it all sort of comes together. But one thing I'm doing this time is I let a lot of things be taken out of my hands because I was a new filmmaker, just desperate and so excited that this was happening. I let a lot of things. I wasn't in the room for certain things. and, And you've always got to stay in the room for everything. Uh, and not, not be like a leader or bossy or like you're all working for me, nothing like that, but you've got to stay in the room and you've got to make the decisions yourself. Uh, and that's why I wouldn't want to give it away. And that's where TV is different because you know, unless you can be a showrunner on it, once you're in the hands of TV companies, you're just a writer
2: and you're irrelevant really. Yeah. Um, Debs, can I ask someone else?
0: Yeah, sure. Fire away. I'm finding this fascinating.
2: Leon, would you advise... Because it's funny, I had this conversation this morning with another writer um, on uh, in DMs, uh, and he, like a lot of feature film, He's a guy who, like a lot of... Like me, like a lot of screenwriters that I know, kind of always had an ambition to write feature films, and then feel as though they got railroaded or manipulated or told that they've got to write TV and ended up writing TV and now feel frustrated because they kind of feel like, well, I've left that behind. And that's something that that's actually a real passion of mine. And I, and when I hear you talk about the kind of development hell and well, you know what that is in television and, and myself looking at the financing of a TV show, which, you know, a cheap one is coming in at 10 million, 12 million for a season of television. Then suddenly it's like, hold on, maybe we should be having conversations about feature films. So for you as a, uh, as a, as somebody who's writing and producing films, has Netflix and Amazon brought anything positive to your situation, and what I'm trying to drive out here really is, is because in TV, there's fucking loads of money, bro, and there's loads of money because suddenly with all the streamers, everybody's looking for content manically. So, uh, uh, somebody like me and my agent, I can have four, five, six things in development with serious producers. And they're getting bites because they're getting money from outside as well. So, is there that money in feature film? No,
1: not independent film. Not unless you will recognise that you've written uh, something so unique and and ticking every box and uh, high concept. Then no. You have to kind of get lucky and hope that someone who's going to invest buys into the film you've written. That's why I got lucky. Right. So basically, all my investors were read the script. I made them read the script, and they could buy into what yeah. I was trying to say.
2: Gotcha. And so <coughs> you wouldn't take the Chelsea Cowboy as a concept and a script with a director and cast uh, and talent to Netflix to try and get them to fund it because they don't do that. You wouldn't. No, no, no the they do. They do. And we they have f-
1: last week through our executive producer we have done that but only as like a sort of fine as as a side thing because you know it might help we might get funded you know between hulu netflix amazon and sky they can fund your film but we're still gathering momentum without it and then if it comes in then all the good but you can't rely on it and obviously 100 streets was on netflix and then it was on amazon prime it's still on amazon prime and it may well go back to netflix i saw wild bill the Charlie Creek miles I mentioned earlier was the star of Dexter Fletcher directed it and will Poulter was in it. And that's just gone back to Netflix, but you know, that's the minimum money. They pay like 20 grand a year or 50 grand a year. If they do a Netflix original, like Idris's film, *Beast of No Nation, the first Netflix original film, then they suddenly put in 15 million. But, but that's a very mm. rare, that's a very rare beast to do that. Sorry, the beast piece of the yep. sorry for the pun, but, um, so yeah, that is rare. So what you do is you keep going, you keep going on the machine. And then if one of these deals comes through, these deals come through then amazing, but you can't let that stop you because in the film business, everyone hangs their hat on something that you haven't done. So we got Binden then everyone says, well, you need to get Vicky. Well, we haven't got Vicky yet, but I okay, can get other cast and it's like, but you have to keep going without that. So. You have momentum, 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 and then it all stops. But we've got this September the 6th date looming. So I'm organising an event on July the 1st so that we get more people, more uh, awareness and possibly new investment to take the pressure off my main investor. And you have to keep it moving every week. And that's where having a proactive director who's prepared to roll his sleeves up, that's where you can keep going. Because at any weeks, I tell you what, on Saturday after we did the pod, I was hungover and I was like, wow, how, how is this going to all happen before September the 6th? And of course, that's part of the hangovers. hangover's a reality check, as we know. Hmm. Uh, whereas we all live off, if you're in the media business, you have to live off positivity, blind positivity usually. But a hangover is a reality check and you kind of realise that, you know, you've got no money coming in necessarily next month and what the hell are you doing? But by Monday, you're like, well, thank God I'm not going to an office all week or going down the pit. So you're quite happy with your choices. But it's that constant, it's that constant anxiousness and that's why booze isn't very good and that's why a lot of creatives turn to drugs and drink and then lose their minds. So you've got to keep a steady mind and you've got to surround yourself with people like-minded who are willing to help and buy into your dream because it is a dream.
2: You know... Debs Mm -hmm. do you want to jump in for a second I need to formulate how I ask her my my mind's slightly
0: blown by that now because obviously it does sound very stressful but like you say it's a dream and you know you have to put yourself out there and throw yourself into it fully and and just listening to you I don't really feel anxious over many things but I did start to feel a little bit like oh gosh how are you sleeping at night (laughs) it's just like I mean, it's exciting as well. Don't get me wrong, but it sounds like you know. Obviously, it's such a huge thing, and I just wondered what the um, how do you deal with the kind of your day to day sort of not mental health, but your general well being through this sort of thinking. Are you, you know, are you okay about not having Caspicky yet, or ha- you know, no, what's no, your I'm stress not. level? That's what Well, first,
1: yeah, it's good to have other things going on so that everything isn't focused about it every day. But also that's a bad thing because when I was doing hundred streets, that was my only focus. And I, I was literally, I did the whole visualization thing and, and, and nothing going my way. Now there's other projects around a few things development and I'm doing this project, as I said before, and now, so there's other things, it, you know, if we're waiting for another three or four days on Vicky, we've been meeting the cast and director this afternoon. Then I can get on with something else. Even this podcast takes your mind off. I've been for a run. I've took Fred out, and then Ben, the director, I, I've spoke to him three times today already as well. So, in the end, it just all go. It all goes in to the, uh, into the mix, and so yeah, you get through it. And then ultimately, I have this thing that I can switch off and go to sleep. You know, I I might wake up at six. For an hour and think about all this stuff, and then I go back to sleep again. So I think you have to be quite resilient. Yeah. Uh, but that's just people, isn't it? You know, people worry about where they're going to find the rent, or when they're going to pay their mortgage off, on the worrying about, as Asen said, the anxiety of meeting people again. But I am a bit of a sensitive, and I do—I'm a bit sensitive and sweat the small stuff. But ultimately, I could be ruthless and just say, "Fuck it, I don't care." Mm. So I think you need it in you, the entrepreneurial Mm. spirit where you're not going to be worrying about loads of stuff. And ultimately it all comes down to if it doesn't happen, it doesn't fucking happen.
2: Move on. Uh, I think that's probably the the biggest thing that everything you've just said for me rings really, really, really true. And I, I can relate so much to the duality of on the one hand, being quite sensitive about small things. Yeah. But at the same time, being able to look at a project like the Baker song that I developed for two years with MGM. And then the guy that was de- that was dealing with it at MGM got fired and now it's in a state of limbo. Right. And it's like a few people have said to me, like, are you not absolutely gutted? And I'm like, no, not even in the slightest because I cannot, um, there's nothing I can do about it and in the end it's kind of it is a little bit of a alright well you shrug your shoulders and you move on and don't take it personally and, and you're on to the next you thing
1: and, and if Baker's Son never yeah, happens exactly. the characters from it you can recycle and reuse somewhere else exactly and exactly. It, it does and that, upset all you all of that but as long as you can pay the rent and, and I have this big thing is that especially have, dipping my toes back into the sort of construction industry, helping my friend out is I'm like, thank God I'm not doing this day in day out. Jesus Christ. Bossing <laughs> 30 or 40 blokes don't really give a shit unless they're getting paid every week. Um, and, and in that business, in the film business, once you're on set, everyone does everything they can to make things happen. If you're on a building site, everyone does everything they can to stop it happening. So, you know, I just, mm. Dipping my toe back in has made me see that this is the greatest industry in the world, but also the hardest, but little things help me get motivated and I'm not part of the industry. I've said it before. I'm at United, a great agency, but I don't know anybody else there. There's no Christmas parties. Mm. There's no getting invited to premieres. You've got to do it yourself. I'm not part of the industry being a member of the Groucho club, which I'm unpausing today because it's open again. Uh, it's about the closest I am, and when you sit on the terrace at night, it's mainly full of bullshitters who aren't even in the business, and they're just there to try and meet people from the business. So I was far more in the business when we took when I was going to BAFTA every week and to all the screenings and all the things then I felt part of the business, but I wasn't in it. Now I'm in it, so yep. I don't feel part of it. But that drives me on. That drives me on. That yep. when we win a BAFTA for the Chelsea Cowboy. I'll make some sake, dig up Bafta, but I probably won't because I'm too nice to do that, and I probably <laughs> yeah. want to get in. But 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 I use all that yeah, stuff as motivation. that yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not. You know, imposter syndrome. Um, my girlfriend. Do you, do you it feel her it's her really job.
2: imposter syndrome? Hold on, let me ask you something. Is it really imposter syndrome, or is it actually? I think there's something really interesting that you just said there, which is that idea of the the longer that you've been doing this, the more you get embedded in. In, in being part of the industry, less part of the industry that you actually feel. Is that because, and maybe I'm gonna blow your mind, maybe I'm just talking shit, right? Is that because there isn't really an industry? like If you see what I mean, that like, no, no, that there we is, there is think, that, yeah, that there's a club that everybody's a member of, right? And we're just not members of it because we've not had a hit film yet, but actually, there is no club there's just a sea of creatives like us some more successful and some less successful trying to get shit done.
1: yeah there, there, there is i mean there are especially nowadays there are people who would feel part of going up to bafta and having a coffee but yeah you're right it, in la there's much more of a of a business but there's no really independent film, so but no, there isn't anything really. There is the time that you make your film, your crew comes in for a couple of months and then mm. go away again and you're back on your own. So yeah, there isn't. I think there is a bit more, if you're, there's a lot of nepotism, there's a lot of box ticking in the industry and there are a group of people who who probably feel more part of something. But ultimately, No, there isn't really. It's a bit like, say, you're in a group of friends and you'll go to the pub every week and then someone has an affair with somebody else and they're ostracised. And then the rest of your time, you're thinking, well, I'm not talking about me, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) But but, but you think, oh, I'm missing out. But, But that's all changed. Those people don't go to the pub every week anymore because one of the people was the central part of that. So therefore, you think you're missing out on something, but there really isn't anything to be missing out on. It just feels like that. And I think this pandemic and the last few years, it's even more like that now. We talked about it on TV with touch points. You know, there aren't the touch points. There aren't the, the things going on every week because everyone's lives everywhere, especially with the travel that they used to be going on. So, no, but there's still a, there's still a bit of a hard because There's still, if you are in the BBC and you're, they'd only use six or seven writers for crime drama. Uh, to get in that writer's room you have to be uh, you know not me I'm you know the fact that I'm funding my second film on my own means that they don't really want me around and I don't when I say they there's not Mm. someone conspiring to get Leon Butler no one gives a (laughs) fuck about Leon Butler but what I mean is there's no one holding my hand and helping me and that's because I'm 47 I came from a different industry, and I'm white, and I don't mean that in a disrespectful way. I just mean there's no one helping me along. I I, I, I asked to join Bafta. Is there an
2: age I, prejudice? Is there an age prejudice? I mean, definitely. As I said, the director, like the
1: direct yeah, the director I was talking about is a legend. I was, Michael Caine Jones made some amazing films in the 90s. He's considered too old now, but also his face didn't fit. He fell out of Weinstein back in the 90s, and he and he doesn't play ball with Bafta and BFI. So his face is a fit, but he's a genius. Uh, But there's definitely there is definitely that issue within the industry. But rather than let it hold you back, I just use it to motivate me. And you know, Hmm. know, I joke, I'll show them, but there isn't that them BAFTA is just a group of people in a room or on a board. It's not like them, per se. And I'll joke about getting to make the speech and slagging them off. But of course I won't. I'd be like grateful to be there. But I just think you've got to turn any negative into a positive. And I'd love it if the BBC, if I was Shane Meadows or Ben Wheatley and Channel 4 funded everything I wrote. But that doesn't happen for me. And and those guys went to film school and, went to, and came up from the bottom and were runners. And I just arrogantly thought at 37 38 i could change careers and here i am so i i I only use it to spur me on i don't really i might be a bit grumpy but i don't really sit and think oh i wish film four would really back me but no i mean it it is what it is and and you just have to motivate it in a positive way
2: yeah i think that's the thing i I think what i take from this conversation and i mean this in in, I, I can't. Firstly, I can't thank you enough because I think that it's very rare that you get to have a conversation with somebody who has the breadth of experience that you have in terms of actually putting a feature film together, and then getting it met shot, and then getting it out, and then repeating the process as you are doing now. But I guess the thing that I like is I like the fact that f- f- what I take mainly from from this conversation is that the the idea that you'll write a screenplay and by osmosis it'll get, get discovered is just a manifest nonsense and that you really have to hustle in a bit it maybe it's a little bit more old school film than television in the mm-hmm. sense that i'm not sure you can hustle with tv and raise the finance and make a show yourself i don't think that's ever going to happen But I think you you seem to be proving repeatedly that you can do that with film. You can write a great script and you can go out and and find the money and the cast and find ways to get it made in spite of what may or may not be the zeitgeist within the industry. Is that a fair thing for me to say, Leon?
1: No, I think it is. I think it does happen. It's a very fair thing to say and it's pretty much right. There are exceptions like Noel Clarke who... Has really hustled his way to the industry, and I might not agree with everything he says, but I really do respect him. He he works for the company mm. Unstoppable. Him and Jason Maza, who I is a pretty good friend of mine as well, and they work with all three media, and they've got a few shows with a model that you know they will all three media will, will will pay for half of the film, the TV, an episode, say, and then. All three media will pay half, and then they'll find a private investor for the other half, and they will go and mm. make four episode show, and then sell it on. It it does happen, it does happen. Right. But but it's it's rare. But because they've got as a company, they are respected. They've continually made content, and they're young, and driven. Then they've and obviously Noel to as you know, made a trilogy of movies that became, you know, a success kid, adulthood, and, uh, I always forget the third one. They made the third in the trilogy so that, you know, they've got, um, a body of work that, that, that sells, but yeah, it doesn't happen often as film, but there are deals where TV shows will be made and then sold on once they're made.
2: Mm, quite but it's a, tough, it's a tough um deb's yeah i'm 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 all done here i feel very uh i feel very whole in this conversation that i've just had mm. um is there anything that you would like to add
0: no i was just interested again we've spoken about certain things before about that age and race and all the rest of it and it's quite interesting because obviously i do affiliate myself with a lot of things have been members of certain things to do the hustle if you like meet people and network and i just find maybe there's the people that i'm listening to and again you know when people have made it and then they impart their wisdom and you just wonder if they've got the finger on the pulse because i hear a lot of people say that oh uh, maybe in the writing sense that does age does not matter and um i'm sitting there thinking oh i'm so old i'm like older than you guys and but um no i mean also i was listening thinking i was having flashbacks to when i joined rain dance and went to one of their uh, boozing and schmoozing events and i can't even tell you on on a podcast what happened at the end of that night
1: come on it's rock and roll it was
0: it was rock and roll (laughs) considering it's rain dance it was hilarious yeah the boozing and schmoozing we went and boozed and schmoozed some more in um proper dive bar in Soho and then it just went debauchery it was just hilarious and um I made I made some friends that I think I think
2: that there is a I think that there an an there is an age bias in the industry and and I'll tell you how and where I felt that I think that in hindsight not getting an agent for as long as I didn't get an agent for was because of my age That's what I believe. I believe that had I been 22 coming through the door with those scripts, I'd have got an agent a heck of a lot faster. I think because I was coming at it as a career pivot, um, it it took longer and it was harder. Um, But the other side of that is that knowing a few young writers, uh, I feel very grateful for coming to this now older, because I look at them and they're young and yeah, they're very emotional and it's very easy to get very hurt and it's very easy to get very frustrated and it's very easy to feel like this isn't really going anywhere. Um, and it's like, it's really mad when I have conversations with writers, when, when I ask them like, you know, so what has your, I'm talking about writers with agents where I'm like, right, so what's your agent got you in the last two years? And it's like, they'll be like, yeah, nothing. Like I've had three calls, I've had four calls or five calls, and I've had a bunch of rejections and, and that's it. Um, it's, it is definitely, definitely tough out there, full stop. And I don't think that, even though I think there might be an age bias in certain places, like in terms of trying to get an agent, stuff like that. But in the end, when it comes to the material, if the, I sold projects before I got an agent because producers are only interested in one thing. Good shit. If the shit material. is good, they'll buy it. Yeah, yeah exactly. The material is good, not shit. Obviously, material. Thank you, Leon, for for taking my Mancunian sweary and turning it into a real word. Um, yeah, like having good material is more important than anything else, I think. And if you generally, I found my gut will tell me when someone's when someone's all right and someone's not all right that I've written. But you so, need to share it. You need sorry, to... Debs.
0: No, no, I was, yeah, I I was, um, I think I've mentioned this too, that there's lately been a few opportunities that have been specifically for females over 40, which was very encouraging for me, of course, because I'm like, woohoo, that's me. Um, but yeah, I mean, again, I can't imagine you'd get away with that if somebody said, right, this is just for guys over 40. Jesus, that would never happen, would it?
2: No, no, it wouldn't. And and I, I don't, you know, I... I t- how do I say this? Like, you know, I I just think there needs to be a more democratic way for uh, people to get ex- uh, access and exposure to people inside the industry. Because I think one of the things that I find really unfair... Is this kind of like, you know, hey, we're doing an over 40s day. Hey, we're doing an Asians only special this week. That kind of vibe. And it's just a little bit like, so you marginalize you, you, marginal, you marginalise minorities and then you marginalize them again because you make them compete with each other. You go, we're having a Asians only week. So all you Asians send us your Asian ideas and we'll pick the best one. Mm. And it's like, that's not a way to do this. This is not... You know, we're not 12 and this shouldn't be competition. It should be very simply, I am a producer or an agent or a broadcaster or a streamer and I am looking for quality material in genre X. I'm looking for something. I mean, I blew my mind. I found the other day, somebody told me that, agent had sent them like netflix send out like super specific briefs of what they're looking for like you know we're looking for a kids movie that's a bit action fantasy um you see what i mean like that giving giving people some uh information for what you're looking for and giving them access to allow them to get that material to you Mm -hmm. should be uh should be encouraged more, I would say.
0: I think, actually, going back to, oh early doors, we must have only been on the first couple of uh, pods, where I mentioned, obviously, Impact. Um, yes. And they had an app, well, have an app, and launch an app called Creative Network, which is supposed to be exactly that thing of, like, getting talented writers and um, people together and opportunities in front of the right people and change the way it's hiring and directors and crew and other professionals... I mean, I did click it. I'm pretty sure there was something that made me not, you know, go, "Oh, this isn't for me," or I might have not have been, um, you know, I might not have had the right criteria. I can't remember what it was now. But equally, going back to well, we've said this so many times, but I still think that most submissions should be blind anyway. I don't think they should know anything about you when you send in your pitch or script or idea, anything. I don't think there should be a name on it, 100%, age on
2: Hundred percent,
0: yeah. Yeah, seems the only. I think that's a great idea. Yeah,
2: yeah. I, I I think I think that's a really great idea. I wonder whether so, so. I know that at independent at my at my agent's place they have a reader, and she is not given the cover of the scripts that she reads. Right, so she reads them blind and then gives notes. Um, And she's read a couple of things for me and her notes are really good. And I think that's, it's more or less what you're saying does, but I think that's a very cool service to have from an agency because it's like, you know, you like, basically my agent was going, you know, a lot of, we have big, big writers here who will have give scripts to her because they rate her. They think that her notes are really good. And because it comes, it, this stuff comes in blind. She doesn't know who it is. They trust the notes,
0: mm.
2: so that's uh mm. that's definitely a cool thing. Yeah. Um. Right. Shall I wrap this up?
0: Yeah, that was brilliant, Leon. By the way, can I just say you were so honest, and and some people just aren't that honest when you talk about these things. So that was really informative and useful and interesting for me. So thank you.
1: It was my pleasure. I was. Don't have... you
2: f- don't you find that when he talks? Don't you find that when he talks, he's he, he knows bloody loads. He just doesn't. Sometimes he'll be really quiet in a pod. And uh, just you like, can't you get a word in with me, and
0: you usually. That's why. <laughs>
2: you know. What I mean. I'm gonna I'm gonna make a I'm gonna make a conscious effort to close my bloody mouth more. That's <laughs> that's that's what I'm gonna say. Um. Right, Leon. Listen, genuinely, mate. Firstly, the best of luck with the Chelsea Cowboy I hope it is a massive success I hope you win a bunch of BAFTAs and then I hope you walk up on that stage and give them a proper Liam Gallagher type of uh, type of uh, speech victory speech um, and yeah we look forward to talking about it more, more. Thank, you.
1: No, thank you thank you
2: thank you I really enjoyed it Thanks. wicked Debs thank you very much for coming back on a on a Monday afternoon
0: uh, my pleasure that was lovely I hope you hand goes to everybody goes who listened in.
2: thank you very much thank you i hope my hangover gets better too i think i did a pretty good job of hosting considering i've got a hangover you really did um no can't say up the blues um, because
1: it didn't work for us on saturday did it
0: no and i cut no it definitely didn't
2: work we're not doing that we're not doing that one (laughs) now. yeah we're
0: not we're
2: not doing that one sorry i
0: totally interrupted your wrap up there sorry go on (laughs)
2: sorry no that's okay no problem um thank you both thanks to everybody who listened remember rate subscribe retweet, leave us a review, tell your friends. This was episode 19. I think this might have been okay. We'll be back for more later this week.